0: Welcome to the Teacher and the Preacher. This program is all about the importance of coming to understand that the Christian community and the Jewish community have more in common than we have been led to believe. Rather than seeing each other as against each other, we need to come to a point of seeing that the statement that our country is a Judeo-Christian nation is much more than just a mere statement, but truly reflects the reality of our nation as it was and should remain. Every week there will be an interesting dialogue about the issues that have divided Jews and Christians and how we can move in bridging the gaps and see that by talking about the issues we can better move in the direction of having more unity, unity that will heal and help bring together a nation that is under attack by the forces of atheism, secularism and a breakdown of family values. Join us now for a discussion between the teacher and the preacher.
1: Welcome to The Teacher and the Preacher. I'm the preacher, Dave McGuera.
2: And I'm the teacher, Harold Berman. And it's that time of year again. December, late November into December is upon us. And that means two things. It means Hanukkah and it means Christmas. And this year, Hanukkah comes uh, before Christmas. It comes at different times because of the Jewish lunar calendar. But Hanukkah is now. So we thought this would be a great show to talk about Hanukkah. And its meaning, and even some surprising connections to Christianity.
1: Always timely. That's the way the teacher and the preacher like to run—is talk about Hanukkah when it's actually right at our door, right?
2: Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I thought about maybe you know one year we could do it in April, but you know, for, for now we'll keep it right.
1: <laughs> just just so that people have advance notice for shopping because you know it comes so fast.
2: <laughs> it does. Well, you know? if you believe the stores, you know, usually by August, uh, Christmas go. Hanukkah displays are up.
1: That's what they say. You know what? They say that when you hear the Christmas music in the mall in October, you know that Halloween is just around the corner. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, this is a good topic for us because, you know, some of our listeners have no idea what hanukkah is and so this gives us a wonderful opportunity to really talk about the story behind the story and then to maybe even add some new insights to those people who have a fairly good idea and understanding what hanukkah is but this is a piece that really comes out of jewish history and it's actually more factual and much easier to assess with historical accuracy than December 25th being the birth date of uh, Jesus in regards to the observance uh, of Christmas by, uh, by lots of people in the world. So this is such a good, good topic for us to talk about. So why don't you just give us the overview of what Hanukkah is and kind of where it comes from. Um so
2: the the first thing is that it's it's uh it's you know the american pronunciation is hanukkah but the actual hebrew you got to do that so it's hanukkah um, which is why you see it spelled in five different ways because no one in english knows quite how to spell it uh but be that as it may uh, the word actually uh, in Hebrew means really dedication, and we'll get to why it's about dedication uh, in a second. So, about two hundred years before Jesus, um, Israel, or in that time specifically Judea, uh, came under the rule of the Syrian Greek tyrant Antiochus the uh, Third. And it, this wasn't ideal, but the Jews, you know, they muddled through as they did later with the Romans. Uh, but then Antiochus' son took the throne, Antiochus the Fourth. And things went south very quickly. So Antiochus IV, uh, he outlaws Judaism entirely. He orders the Jews to worship Greek gods. And then the straw that breaks the camel's back is that he sends his troops to Jerusalem. Uh, They massacre thousands of Jews. They desecrate the temple by putting up a statue of Zeus right in the temple, if you can imagine that, and as if that's not enough, sacrificing pigs there. So from a Jewish perspective, you know, you, you can't get much worse than that. So along comes this (laughs) priest, Mattathias, and he has five sons, and they essentially lead the rebellion against the Syrian Greeks. It's a David versus Goliath moment. And one of his sons in particular leads the charge. His name is Judah, uh, known as Judah Maccabee, uh, which Maccabee means the hammer, and that gives you some idea of his fighting abilities. Uh, Maccabees come from a town in central Israel called Modin, and interestingly enough, that town has been rebuilt you see you know the ingathering of the exiles today and we have now a modern city of modin which is about a hundred thousand people but uh the the maccabee graves are actually right outside the city you can actually go visit them but this is the same place that from which this all arose so Back then, under Judah Maccabee's leadership, uh, the Jews, within two years, had driven out the much more powerful Syrian Greek army. You, you have echoes of that today, by the way, in some of Israel's wars against, you know, five Arab nations and that kind of thing. It's against seemingly impossible odds, but they win. And this is where the the Hanukkah um, celebration really comes in, because we have in the Book of Maccabees, which is in the Apocrypha. Um, It relates the military victory, but it doesn't relate what comes after that. And that we find in various Jewish sources, including in the Talmud. And what happens is the Jews now come to cleanse the temple. It's been defiled. And they have to rebuild the altar, and they have to light the menorah that stands in the temple. And the menorah, which is a candelabra described in the Torah, Um, It's supposed to be kept burning every night, um, but there's only one jar of oil left that's not been defiled by the Greeks that could be used for ritual purposes in the temple. Um, It's only enough to burn for one night. So they light it really as an act of faith and they go to get more oil. And uh, by the time they get back, it takes them eight days to get the oil that they need. And um, the the one day of uh, oil burns for eight days, and that's why when you look at a menorah today, uh, also called Hanukkah, there are eight. Uh, it's eight candles because uh, it's eight nights of Hanukkah. It's to commemorate these eight days, and back to Hanukkah meaning dedication. It's because it comes out of this dedication of the temple.
1: Yeah, this is a great. This is a great story, by the way, um, for many of our. Uh, listeners who are Christians, you can find this story in the Bible if you simply go to the last book of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, at Malachi, and then right before it starts with the with the New Testament, um, there's a blank page, and that's where you find this story at, <laughs> right? It's, it's sandwiched in what we typically know as the, the silent years, but God wasn't... Really silent. He was at work, and this is one of those stories that's actually a miracle. So, to just kind of put this in context of how miraculous this piece was, and there's miracles at a variety of different levels, just as you mentioned, Harold, because their ability to actually defeat the um, Syrians or the, the the Greeks, you know, they they um, that 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 guerrilla warfare that. Judah Maccabees um, really led the Jews to fight with was something else. This is really one of the the amazing pieces of this story. But imagine that you are shipwrecked on a desert island and you got your cell phone and you only have 4% left and you need that flashlight. And that flashlight actually carries you for eight days and it's a, it's a miracle that your phone flashlight was able to hold at 4% is all of the battery life left and, and it, it, it holds until you get rescued. That, that's really what we've got happening here that this eight days of this oil lamp burning was absolutely miraculous. So this, uh, can we go back just just a little bit before this started to the relationship that Israel actually had with with the Greeks because they encountered uh, no one less than Alexander the Great himself and had dealings with him. And the relational side of Israel to the Greeks was actually quite... um, Quite peaceful, quite uh, copacetic, and yeah. right.
2: Yeah, and it, it was. And and you. By the way, you see this even played out in other ways throughout Jewish history. I think it was sort of a love hate relationship because, uh, as you say, it was peaceful until these kind of things started to happen but there was a cultural war going on underneath so in fact in the time of judah maccabee you had the jews who were uh what today would be called assimilated they um they took on greek ways they dressed like greeks there were even jews who had uh what whatever I can't imagine, but whatever in the time passed as surgery to basically make themselves look like they were not circumcised, you know, in imitation of the Greeks. Obviously those were extreme, but there were people who did that. And not everybody was on the bandwagon with the Maccabees because there were Jews who said, hey, wait a minute, we love the Greeks. And, you know, what? what's the problem with a little bit of pig in the temple and the Greek gods? You know, we we love Greek culture. So there was actually this battle within Uh, I guess, Judaism itself for uh, holding on to Jewish ideals or just basically giving away the store and essentially becoming Greek.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that Alexander the Great left in his conquering of many, many nations and people groups is he left all of the markings of, of Greece or the Greeks on these people groups so that... As you mentioned, they, they they start to become Hellenistic in their in their cultural ways, their maybe customs, as you've mentioned, uh, the way they dress, or wear their hair, even picking up the language, and all of that. The world starts to become Hellenized, if you will, uh, during that time, and so there's this uh, world language that's starting to happen, and then this infiltrates, and it's just like. Culture today, you know, we have so much intermixing, but then there are some aspects that carry more weight and more influence than others, and that's what was actually happening among the Jewish people themselves. Because if I remember my uh, my history a bit, this is where another sect of Judaism comes in, which became known as the Sadducees. Am I thinking right?
2: Yeah, I believe that's right.
1: So let's talk about them for a minute because they were what seemed to be the, the drum beaters, if you will, on, hey, uh, let's not throw uh, the baby out with the bath here. There, there's been great contributions that the Greeks have made, blah, blah, blah. And so they, they, as you mentioned, became much more sympathetic and they began to, I guess, use those customs and enjoy and appreciate the Hellenistic side of things, and it started to really inf- infiltrate the, the, the Jews of Israel because these are Jewish people we're talking about here.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's also, you know, there's a difference between assimilation and acculturation. So there were, and, and the Pharisees were part of this too, and I know the Pharisees sometimes in, can have a bad name uh, because, you know, some people see them in certain ways in, in the New Testament, but they're they're actually a much broader category than that. <laughs> and the pharisees uh were the rabbis essentially came out of the pharisees and you find in the talmud uh there are many what are called uh, greek loan words where uh there wasn't a word in hebrew for it so they they would use a greek word and you find actually what are originally greek words all throughout the talmud and, and early jewish sources and then you find the septuagint uh, was a translation of the Bible into Greek because there were Jews uh, particularly outside of Israel who they spoke Greek and they they just as some American Jews today might know English but not enough Hebrew to read the Bible in Hebrew there were Jews then they they could only uh, read Greek so so you did have this uh, I guess push and pull of trying to trying to use uh, what was good about Greek culture but not get swallowed up by it
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great way to explain it. And then along comes this, probably 150 years later, something like that, comes this maniac that you mentioned, Antiochus Epiphanes. And, you know, what put him in such a bad mood? What, what was it that caused him to have this hatred or just wanting to basically be, you know, a God himself? So he, sweeps down from the north, takes uh, and and tries to overrun all of the Jews in Israel with forbidding them, really their daily customs and their religious, you know, uh, observances. And so no longer can you um, be found reading the scriptures, I guess, uh, no practicing of circumcision, um as you mentioned, desecrating the altar with uh, blood from pigs, uh, what were some of the other things that were outlawed among the Jews?
2: um I mean, what I'm remembering is you know well, certainly Torah study, and, and by the way, that has echoes uh, later on. uh the sacrifices in the temple obviously couldn't happen because you have this big sacrifice, big um, statue of, of Zeus sitting there. And uh, then the Greeks are sacrificing pigs. And at that point, you know, the temple is standing and the sacrificial system that's really at the center of things. So you know, you, you take that out. And you know, that that's really, you know, you've taken the heart of it out right there. And so all of a sudden, the temple is basically defunct. Uh, and, uh, you they couldn't really keep kosher. All of these things that were, I, I believe if I'm remembering correctly, they were required to work on the Sabbath. So all these things that are really fundamental to Judaism, uh, foundational, were just pulled out from under them.
1: So Mattathias, who who was the high priest, he must've had a Popeye moment where he just finally said, I, I can't stand it no more. And his family, his. His boys, uh, I think, especially Judah Maccabee, um, they just decide. You know what? We're, we're gonna we're gonna push back. We're, we're going after these guys. We're gonna take them down. And this was no small undertaking, was it?
2: No, it's um, as I mentioned. I mean, this, this was really a David versus Goliath moment. This would be like. I don't know, um, you know, Luxembourg taking on Germany or something. Uh, this is this Judea at that point is this uh, very small uh, and not well organized power. If you, And you couldn't even really call it a power at that point. And here, the Syrians, that was the superpower. That was really like, you know, as, as Egypt had been before, as America is now. And here they're taking on the world superpower. Um, not an easy task. And you can imagine at that time, they had to have quite a lot of bravery and quite a lot of faith because otherwise you know who would think that they would ever win
1: right right you know this rebellion that that was provoked was a big item and and these boys that led this revolt were boys that were men at this point that were so dedicated and they really inspired so many others that let's let's do a lot of covert missions let's do this guerrilla warfare where it's a very unique uh, undertaking in the way of uh, how they conduct uh, destruction uh, kind of irregular military actions Uh, so there's sabotage and there's harassment it's carried out uh in in kind of these independent acts and man it starts to take a toll on uh antiochus um military men themselves they're starting to, to to fall by the wayside uh time after time event after event until i think this went on for some three plus years right
2: yeah, it was it was over it was about I think it was about 2 years but it it wasn't a quick victory by any means as uh, you know we wouldn't expect it would be but they if anything would have been quick it would have been that the rebellion would have been crushed but that didn't happen the Syrian Greeks eventually they got the message that hey this just isn't worth it to us and they you know they packed up and and left and the Jews got their independence back at least for a time
1: So once they're gone the place is a mess. Temple has had such destruction, and to go there and decide man we've we've got to start you know cleaning the place up and seeing if we can get it put back into shape um no small undertaking, and then no. mm-hmm. to be able to have uh that time when you you start honoring God again when you know part of the worship is is light and having the giant menorahs. And um, this was, this was uh, something that was heartfelt among the Jews that we only have enough oil for uh, one lamp. And let's get busy trying to get that most virgin olive oil, which is going to take us a little while, and it's just an interesting thing that, you know, 24 hours goes by and it's still burning and 24 hours goes by and it's still burning and people begin to realize that this is, this is a miracle of God. And here it is, um, the 21st century, and there's still this wonderful time of celebration and observance about the miracle that God wrought for the Jewish people um, a couple thousand years ago.
2: Right, right. The, the other thing here, I think there's a great message because, you know, we all hear this idea that, you know, just do your part, open up a little opening and then, you know, God will, will chip in as it were and, and, you know, and take you farther than you thought. But here's a real example of that. Uh, from over two thousand years ago, but it's it's just as relevant today. You know, in, in so many things that we do, where you think, well, this isn't possible, but you know, you just start and and you do a little bit, and somehow it, it winds up uh, going forward. And you know, and that's the power of God.
1: I love that. You know, that number eight um, among the the Hebrew is um, carries a lot of depth and richness just like all the numbers do but it, it really underscores that it's it's really a new beginning and and that's exactly right. what this was it was it was eight days it is a chance for a new beginning um it 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 ushered in a new era and right. I think that this is one of those things that, you know so many people long for in their own lives is to be able to have you know a a, a new start a, a a chance at a new beginning and and then when we we have that making sure we don't forget that and that's one of the things i think that hanukkah does is it's that reminder of god's faithfulness god's provision god's bringing something good out of evil and uh, Im- impacting people's lives. Now, one of the things that is kind of going along with some of the observances and the traditions, as we've talked about this every year across the years that we've been together, Harold, is there's some unique pieces for this this Hanukkah season. And one of those is a is a dreidel. Why don't you explain kind of what a dreidel is and, and why would it play a part in uh, Hanukkah?
2: So, so, the dreidel came along uh, much later. It's uh, it's really a children's game uh, that developed as a Hanukkah tradition, and essentially it's a kind of spinning top, and it has four sides, and it has different Hebrew letters on the four sides, uh, which stand. And so there's games that you play, and depending on what letter it lands on, you know, just like other games of that nature, uh, but the the letters are significant because the each letter is is the first letter of a Hebrew word so I'll just say what the words are so it's uh, the typical dreidel it's neskadol Hayasham which is a great miracle happened there and Jews all over the world uh would would have these dreidels and, and still today uh with with these letters that stand for this neskadol Hayasham a great miracle happened there meaning happened in Israel now What's new in the last, um, I guess, about seventy years is there's a new kind of dreidel, and the dreidel that's used in Israel, uh, instead of the the sham, the sh sound, the shin, uh, there's a pah, a different letter, and because it's Nes haya Hayah Po, which is a great miracle happened here, uh, which really. Also, just highlights the nature of the miracle that you know the two thousand years of Jews wandering, and now you know that light is back. The Jews are back in their own uh, country. You know that we can say a great miracle happened here, not that we're outside saying it happened there.
1: So, the clock is screaming at us, but before we run out of time, just quickly, food, food is a big deal during these uh, these days, isn't it?
2: In every Jewish holiday, uh, except for the fast days, absolutely. Uh, can't have it without food. What are we talking about? (laughs) So a lot of food, first of all, uh, revolves around the idea of oil because there's this miracle of the oil. So Mm -hmm. uh, there are two basic things uh well any food of course is welcome but there are two basic foods that are eaten uh in uh, not very healthy because of the oil but one of them are called latkes which are essentially they're essentially potato pancakes fried in oil again symbolizing the oil of the miracle and the other one which is really popular in israel are what are called Suvgan yot in hebrew which are essentially donuts uh again and of all kinds and flavors that some of them are works of art that i see And those also are fried in oil. Um, So so either way, it's not healthy, but it's just once a year.
1: My kind of holiday. I love that. And you know what? Um, There's wonderful celebration, fellowship, gift giving. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful time of year. And it's uh, right on our doorstep. And uh, we want to wish a happy Hanukkah to all of our Jewish friends, and to all who take the time to learn about it and observe it. We're pretty much out of time, Harold, but it's been great to be with you this this week. I'm with you. And I just want to encourage our listeners, why don't you take a moment and write Harold and I? You can do that by just simply going to the teacher and the preacher at gmail.com, theteacherandthepreacher at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you during this holiday season. Let us know uh, if there's something that you'd like us to talk about as a topic, but um, take the time to write us. And then check out our, our website, theteacherandthepreacher.com. You're going to find archive programs and really good information there. It's a wonderful way to donate, especially as we head into this last month of the year. It's a great way to give. And then uh, Harold does a great job on our Facebook page, The Teacher and the Preacher, wonderful facts of the day. And you'll just uh, really appreciate a lot of the things that he puts on there. So thank you for joining us again this week on The Teacher and the Preacher. And may the God of Israel who never slumbers or sleeps, may he watch over Israel and our Jewish friends, and may God bless America.
0: Amen. The Teacher and the Preacher will be back next Sunday for another discussion on how Christians and Jews can come to once again proclaim that the United States is truly a Judeo-Christian nation. To contact the Teacher and the Preacher, email them at theteacherandthepreacher at gmail.com. That's theteacherandthepreacher at gmail.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and give you shalom.